morning, everybody. Welcome once again to our Sunday morning Digital Cathedral. Hope you had a wonderful week. Hope all went well for you, and you're looking forward to another good week. <clears throat> I want to finish up today what I started last week, which is talking about this Adamic illusion, probably next to Hell's Illusion, which I did a book on, which I hope you got. If you haven't ordered your copy of Hell's Illusion yet, make sure you go over to Amazon and do that. And if you have read the book, go over to Amazon and write a review. I would really appreciate that. But this morning we're looking at the Adamic illusion and probably next to Hell's illusion, it has caused more, more separation, more wrong concept of self, more fear, more frustration, um, more doubt, more anxiety than any other doctrine that the church has held that we've never questioned or, or even looked at in a second light. And that's probably why it bugs me so much. I may do a little booklet on the Edemic illusion just because it, uh, I think it's been so destructive to the church and to the minds of people. I'd like to start this morning over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let me lay a little bit of foundation and then we'll get right into, into what I want to really get into and talk about this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 12 says, For now we see in a mirror dimly. King James says glass. But at the time this was written, there was no such thing as glass. And a mirror, a mirror was not glass. A mirror was simply polished, um, polished aluminum or polished metal of some kind that was polished as much as it could be. And so you, you didn't really get a perfect image of what you were looking at, so you had to kind of look at it at different angles. We still do that in the mirror, don't we? We look and see if hair's down there, everything looking over there. So you had to look at it at several angles, but you, you did not get a real clear image in a, in a mirror because it wasn't glass, it was polished metal. So he said, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I have always or just as I am known. Now I want you to look at the last part of this verse. He said, now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And that's this 12th verse, 1 Corinthians 13, we all know is the love chapter. This, this 12th verse of uh, 1 Corinthians 13, I think really explains and, and uh, puts in perspective the whole chapter. It's talking about seeing with different eyes. And at the Digital Cathedral, it seems like every week that's what we're talking about, is, is being able to see things from a perspective that we've never seen before. And I'm always, I'm always uh, uh, excited when I get comments from people that say somewhat like, say, that say something like this, Man, I have never looked through the lens that you're teaching through, but when I look through those lens, everything looks different. That's just what he's getting at in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, that for generations we've been looking at things through a glass or in a mirror that has been kind of distorted. We haven't seen actually what is there. So what I want to say at the start of the teaching this morning is this. As you awaken more and more, and as you move from seeing through that glass dimly to where you're seeing things a little bit sharper, you're seeing things uh, a little bit more crystallized as the Spirit of Truth brings things into focus, and you begin to see, as he said in this 12th verse, uh, that we know in part, but now I shall know, as also I have been known, when you begin to see the Father face to face, he's going to begin to show to you who you've always been, who he, who he has seen you as, the lens that he has perceived you through. And once you begin to see you, here's my point, once you begin to see you like the Father sees you, a lot of things are going to change in your life. A lot of, a lot of the things that we have held as, as undisputable, as just accepted doctrine, we're going to begin to question. And there's nothing wrong with questioning. Knowing you as he knows you begins to make some amazing things come to light. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul said it a little bit differently, but kind of the same thing. And what I'm trying to do at the start of the teaching today is to get you to where you are comfortable looking at things from a different perspective. 
where, where it doesn't shake your faith, where you're, where you're not intimidated by it, but you are comfortable exploring and asking questions. You were never, you were never encouraged to ask questions when you were back in the church. In fact, if you did, it was frowned upon. Some of you asked questions and you were told you're just being rebellious, that you were not respecting authority. It's like authority was speaking you know, as an oracle of God, and how dare you question anything that authority said? That's hogwash. You should question everything that you're taught. You should question what I teach you. Just because I lay something out for you on Sunday morning at the Digital Cathedral, I'm not sitting here saying I've got all the answers and I'm correct about everything. I know I'm not because I change. As, as my view gets sharper and as your view gets sharper, the course we're walking on is going to take adjustments. We still have the same goal, the same target, and that's to manifest as sons of God. But I, want, I don't ever want to be in a place where I'm speaking to you saying, don't you ever dare question what I'm teaching. And if you do, you're in rebellion. In fact, Paul said this, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. He said, but we now with an unveiled face. That kind of lines up with what he said over in, in 1 Corinthians 13, love chapter, but we now with an but we now see through a glass dimly or darkly, but then we're going to see face to face. So Paul is saying, look, we're seeing now with an unveiled face, nothing in front of us, nothing distorting us, uh, no false lens, no false perception. He said, we're beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. And that's what I, that's what I want to do this morning. I want us to look at the glory of the Lord. I want us to see what God originally designed us to be, how that became perverted, and that perversion has been handed down from generation to generation without question until we have seen ourselves in a light that God never saw us in. It was all been in the mind of man. It started in the mind of Adam and it ended up until this generation when we're finally beginning to say, you know what, that's a false perception because now we're seeing with an unveiled face. We're seeing the glory of the Lord, the presence of the Lord, the goodness of the Lord. And here's the thing. We're being transformed into the same image that we're seeing from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So when you see him more clearly and you begin to see you as he sees you, it changes you. It changes you from the inside, changes your perspective, changes, it's going to change the entire world that you live in. So when the light of when the light comes on, it's going to expose a lot of things that we've held without question. It's going, to, it's going to expose a lot of things that we've been taught that have been deeply ingrained within us. And you're going to see things from an entirely different light. And that's not evil. That's not wrong. That's not perverted. You don't have to be afraid of that. It's a healthy thing, all right? Perspective is going to change from dogma or from a belief system to relationship. That's what the Father's driving at today. The Spirit of Truth is taking us from this, this regimented, boxed-in belief system. He's embracing us, and he's bringing us into this intimate relationship with him. It's, it's, the view is going to change us from what has been theologically ingrained into us, what has been theologically pounded in week after week, year after year after year, without question, you're going to begin to question everything and investigate everything. And as I said earlier, that's healthy. I want you to do that on the Digital Cathedral. I encourage you to do it. I encourage you to get into things and delve into it. Look at history. Look at how it evolved. Look at what we've accepted and come to some conclusions yourself. And you're going to find, as I found, that a lot of the things that we thought were orthodox Christianity were not orthodox Christianity. Orthodox means means simply that it's generally held as truth. Some of the truth that we've held generally as truth or thought was truth in the beginning was not truth. It, 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 we've, we've, we've veered away from what Paul taught, from what Jesus demonstrated. And we've, we've made it into something that has created fear, uh, created insecurity. And the motive behind that uh, today I don't think is evil. In the beginning, I think it was evil. It was generated to keep people in the church looking to the church for solutions and for answers. Now, I understand on some level that's probably true today also, but what we thought was orthodox has been set in place to make us think less of ourselves 
and make us think that if we dare question anything, that something's wrong with us. There's nothing wrong with you if you question things. And that's what we're doing right now. We're questioning this illusion of an endemic nature, all right? This doctrine fits the description of what I've, I'm, I'm talking to you about this morning. Some, some call it original sin. Some call it uh, the endemic nature. Others have called it total depravity. There are slight nuances, slight differences, but basically it all means the same thing. It's the belief that because of Adam and Eve that our natural state, when we are born into the earth, that we are born infected on every level, that we are virtually helpless, that we are born in sin, that we are born with a sin nature, that we are born perverted, that we are born with a bent toward evil. And honestly, there's only one verse of scripture, after all my years in this, I can tell you there's basically one verse of scripture that this has been derived from, and I want us to look at it honestly this morning. It's found in Psalm chapter 51. If you have your Bible, if you don't have your Bible when you come to the digital cathedral, shame on you. You should have your Bible. Some of you got a phone if you're looking at this on your laptop and you want to, you know, use your phone, that's fine. But I'd like you to follow along with me because there's something about reading it out of your own Bible from your own source that kind of ingrains it, helps you see it maybe a little more clearly. But this whole thing of an endemic nature is basically taken out of one verse of scripture from Psalm chapter 51 and verse 5. And David said, says this, he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Let me, let me read it again in case you don't have your Bible. He said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. The, the word iniquity in the, in the Hebrew is the word avon, A-V-O-N, and it means guilt or punishment guilt or punishment. Let me plug that in there. He says, behold, I was brought forth in guilt or punishment. All right. Now, the last part of this verse is key. He says, and in sin, my mother conceived me. And in sin, my mother conceived me. In sin, my mother conceived me. He's not saying that David was born in sin. He's saying that he was conceived in sin. And then he was brought forth out of the punishment of that sin he was conceived in. That's the first part of the verse. I was brought forth in iniquity or as a result of punishment. He said, but in sin my mother conceived me. So if I'm, if I'm going to really look at that verse, I would, have to, I would have to conclude, if nobody ever taught me anything, if I didn't have a church background, I would look at that verse and I would say, you know what? David's mother was in sin when David was conceived. So maybe Jesse was not David's father. I don't know. Is that why, is that why David was put on the backside of the desert tending sheep away from the rest of the brothers, away from the family? Is that why David, when Saul came, uh, Samuel came to anoint a new king, that all the brothers were brought to be looked at except David? Was it the fact that it wasn't David that had a sin nature when he was born, but the fact that David's mother conceived David in some kind of relationship that put David in a light or in a position in the family that was not equal to the rest? There seem to be some indications of that. So what we've been told, and really that's the main verse in all of Scripture that I know of, that this whole thing of the endemic nature is based on is this verse that David uh, brought. Now, now Paul said, uh, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But that's not saying that we were born with a dynamic nature. It's saying that we followed Adam in the same path that he went, which is what we're going to get at this morning. The same path that Adam followed, we all follow. We all ate at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which perverted our thinking. When Adam ate at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he, he created a God in his mind that was not so. He created a God in his mind that was mad at him, that was going to punish him, and so he ran and hid. Was that how God was? Absolutely not. God went looking for David to fellowship like he'd always fellowshiped with, with Adam. So Adam created a God in his mind, and we've created a God in our mind to the degree that Paul said, what is it, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, that we were alienated and separated in our minds because of what we did, because of wicked works. 
So people today still living under that misconception that if they, they foul up, if they mess up, if they don't live you know, a perfect life, a good life, because of what the church has taught, that God's angry, that God's mad, that they have this nature and there's no way that they can connect with God. In, in other words, all humans are born with a corrupt nature and are born with a bend towards sin. But now here's the irony of what the church teaches. They teach that nevertheless, born with a bend towards sin, no spiritual perception, lost, undone, separated from God, but still you're, you're responsible for your actions. How can a man be responsible for his actions when he's born in that condition? Can he really make a free will decision when he's born in his mind thinking that he's separated from God and God's mad at him? And yet the church teaches that we're responsible for the sins that we commit and we can't avoid because of our natural bend toward evil. That, that, is, that is such talking out of both sides of your mouth that you're responsible for what you do, but really you can't help what you do because of your corrupt nature. Come on, man, we can do better than that. See, we've been told over and over again that Jesus needed to come because of the sin problem that we have. The sin problem. Do you know what sin actually is? Sin, the word harmatia means missing the mark. You've probably been told that 15 times the last month, everywhere you've been. Sin is harmatia, missing the mark. What's the mark that we missed? The mark that we've missed is the authentic identity that God created us in. We've had a bend away from that because of what the church has taught us about endemic nature. Sin is missing the mark. The mark is the image and the likeness that God created you in. That's how he designed you to live. So when you're living less than that, when you're not living to that, to that level in your consciousness, then you've missed the mark. John said in John chapter 1, verse 29, John looked at Jesus walking by and he pointed at Jesus and he said this. He said, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin, singular, the sin of the world. He's taken away this mistaken identity that man has had of perceiving himself to be separated, sinful, bent toward evil. Jesus came to demonstrate for us and walk out what man should look like as he demonstrates image and likeness of the Father, as he obeys the voice of the Father, as he eats from the tree of life. Jesus came to demonstrate for us what that looks like and to, to take from us that bend that has created a false identity because we've not lived according to our authentic identity. <clears throat> You've probably seen that well that well worn out, as far as I'm concerned, description of the great chasm of sin. You know that picture where God is on over on this side, there's a great valley in the middle and God's on this side and you're on this side and down in that valley are people in hell suffering and there's flames of fire coming up. Then across that valley is the cross, right? And so what we were told is that Jesus came and he's the only way we can, we, can, we can eliminate this separation that we have from God, that we're separated from God. Matter of fact, that's the four spiritual laws. Law number one is God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. But law number two says that you're sinful and separated from God. Law number two is a lie. So that little, that little picture was drawn to show us how we can bridge the separation. There is no separation. There has never been a separation. The only separation that we have that we have had has been in our minds. And I'm going to tell you, actually, I told you last week how that began to occur. It was through Augustine that developed two doctrines. They're both illusions. They're both lies. They're both not true. But the church has embraced them, and they have become orthodox beliefs within the Western church. Judaism doesn't believe in eternal conscious torment or edemic nature. The Eastern Church does not believe in the Adamic nature or eternal conscious torment. It has been the Western Church that has picked up on those lies and those deceptions, creating an illusion in the mind of man as to his eternal destiny because of this nature that he was told he had that if he didn't do something about, even though he was powerless and made no decision to have it, 
<clears throat> that he would be burned in hell forever if he didn't do something about it. <clears throat> so we've been told we're on one side, God's on the other. There's a great separation and we fall into hell if we don't do something about it. And Jesus came to bridge the gap. Did he really? Jesus came to eliminate the perception of separation between God and man. And he demonstrated it. He lived it out. He made it so. It's the description of original sin that has been palmed off and the solution to that sin that has been palmed off as the gospel. That's not the gospel. Original sin is not the gospel. The, let me say it simply. The church has created a problem where there was no problem. The church created a problem of separation of man from God when man was never separated from God. And the church has made that a problem so that they could come with a solution. And the solution to the created problem was whatever flavor of church you belonged to, whatever hoops you needed to jump through, whether it was baptized to bridge the gap or pray a prayer to bridge the gap or speak in tongues to bridge the gap, whatever it was, Augustine created the problem and then came with the solution. The solution to the Catholic Church is infant baptism. Until a child is baptized, he's not a child of God. He's not part of the family. So the Catholic Church rushes to the church to get the child baptized to make sure that it doesn't fall in those flames of hell and be separated from God forever. All right? that, that's how this developed. The gospel is not a story of separation because of an endemic nature. That's not good news. How can you say that's the gospel? The gospel's good news. The gospel is the story of a father who is so faithful to us and so intent on being with us that he became a human to reveal and show us what that life looks like. Jesus was called Emmanuel, God with us. God came and took on flesh to show us how much he loves us, to show us there's no separation, to show us there's never been a separation, to show us this has been an illusion. There are so many things that we have believed that are just illusions. They're mirages. They appeared out there to be, to be so, but when we get up on it and we examine it, we find that it is not so. It's not true. We've been sold a bill of goods. The gospel is the story of union. This gospel is the story of acceptance. The gospel is the, is the story of reconciliation of all men to the Father. The Father didn't need reconciling to man. He never was separated from man. How can an omnipresent being be separated? Again, that's double speak. that religion has come speaking out of both sides of their mouth. One side says, yes, you're separated from God. The other side says, God is omnipresent. An omnipresent being cannot be separated. That's why Jesus said, that's why Jesus said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. That's why Paul said, nothing can separate us from the love of God. God is love. Nothing can separate us from the very essence and the very being of God. That's the gospel. That's the good news. So we've come with all these doctrines. And they have created this sense of separation, this sense of being depraved, this, this sense of being uh, bent toward evil. And then we've got a solution. We make Jesus come to solve a problem that was never there, when in fact Jesus came to show us a loving Father that is connected to us, always been connected to us. Let me say, I want to say some more about that, because when I'm done today, this, this little two-part series, you need to go back and listen to. I, I want to dissolve this, any sense of separation that you have. Some of you have been hammered for 15, 20, 30 years with separation from God. And every time you do something wrong that you perceive is wrong, that you've been told is a sin, an action that is, is not right, you've been told immediately and now you're separated from God. I want to dissolve that in your thinking. There is nothing you can do to unhook yourself from him. There's nothing you can do to separate yourself from him. Nothing can separate you from him. Do you honestly think that? Let me get into this a little bit deeper. Because we're not totally depraved by Adam. Before Adam ever did what Adam did, God put a pronouncement on us. He put a pronouncement on us that we're blessed. 
that we're not depraved. We're not, we're not separate. We're blessed. That was, that's what God Almighty said. Look, can I read it for you? Let's go back to the very first chapter of the first book, Genesis chapter 1. And let's, let's read this. And then what I read, I double dog dare you to find any place that God ever rescinded it. Religion rescinded it, but you'll never find where God did. I, I, I double dog dare you to find any place where God ever said, what I pronounced over man in the beginning was ever taken away. We took it away. God never did. And God is now today awakening us to what we've always had, to what we've always possessed, to who we've always been. But we've been ignorant of it. Nobody taught us. We didn't know. So when you've heard a lie enough times, you get to think that lie is the truth. If from the time you were a little child, your mother told you you were ugly, that no man would ever be married to you, that no woman would ever want you because you're, 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 you're just ugly, you're, your personality is terrible, that you're less than human, you're less than normal, something wrong with you, you're special, something wrong with you. You hear that enough by the time you're, you're 10 years old, you're gonna believe it because you've heard it time and time and time again, and that's what's happened in the church. We've heard these doctrines that have not been true. And when you examine them, if, if you would but question, if, you'd, if you would but question and, and study and examine, get up on that mirage that appeared that it was there, but when you really get up on top of it, it's gone. It's not there. It's not true. Here's what God said about man. 26 chapter, 26 verse, first chapter. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 28, then God blessed them. God blessed them, plural, T-H-E-M, them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion. Verse 31, then God saw everything that he had made and indeed it was very good. God never, God never said what he made was not very good. God made you. God created you. God blessed you. God stamped image and likeness on you. And that is an indelible stamping that you cannot erase. You cannot take it away. The whole story of Genesis that still is true for us today, it's all summed up in, in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. When I saw this, and I didn't see this till maybe five, six years ago. Genesis chapter two and verse seven. And the Lord formed the man out of the dust of the ground. Now watch this. He formed man out of the dust of the ground. We're, we're made of dust. <clears throat> and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living person. When God breathed into your nostrils, do you know what he breathed in? When he breathed into your nostrils, he breathed into you his life. He breathed into you his nature, the very essence of his being. He breathed into every human being. He is, he is the only life source. I hear people say, well, you know, they're just a child of the devil. Where do you think the devil is going to go to find life to create any human being? What makes you think that anybody had the ability to reverse what God did? God breathed into man the breath of life. I, I've had eternal life from the get-go. I've had the essence and the nature of God from the get-go, and so have you. All of us had. You say, Pastor, I've never heard that kind of stuff before. I know you haven't. But you're awakening. You're at the digital cathedral because God's opening your eyes. Look, I've taken a lot of heat for this. I've taken a lot of criticism for the things I teach. But nobody can refute it. What they tell me is that's not orthodox, that's heresy. And it's heresy and orthodox based on what? Based on what you were always taught. But it doesn't line up with what the spirit of truth is opening our eyes to. And as our eyes open, as we read in First and Second Corinthians today, as our eyes open, as we look into that mirror, and we don't have the veil in front of us anymore, and we're able to see the image sharper, that we're being transformed into the same image that we're seeing. And that's happening to people all over the earth. I'll tell you, I have seen more change in the lives of people since I have been outcast by the church and pastors in my city and 
I, you know, I'm the guy, I'm the guy your pastor's warned you about. I'll tell you right up front. I'm the guy your pastor has warned you about. If you're still going to church, I'm the guy he doesn't want you to listen to. Because I'm saying it's okay to question. I'm saying it's okay to challenge. I'm saying it's okay to hear from the spirit of truth for yourself. That you don't have to let the denomination, you don't have to let your pastor dictate to you what's truth and what's wrong. And you don't have to put up with somebody telling you that you're in heresy or you're down the wrong road or you're messed up if you don't believe or see it exactly like they do. Maybe, just maybe, they need to catch up with where you are. You ever thought about that? I know as a trailblazer, you're going to catch heat, but look, I've paid, I'm paving a way for you to follow. That's why I wrote the book, Hell's Illusion, so that you don't have to take the heat. I took the heat for it. I'm taking the punches and the blows, and uh, the target on my back has increased. So it doesn't have to increase on you. I, see, but you're, you're in the wave that, that, that's right out in front, so there are going to be people that follow you <clears throat> that are going to see what you're seeing, and now, thank God, there's people, there's, there's a wave of people that are embracing what we're saying, what you and I believe, what you and I are seeing, what we perceive. And we don't have the picture perfect, but I'll tell you what, it's only going to get sharper. And as it gets sharper, it's going to even divert farther from what we were told was Orthodox Christianity and the right way to believe. It's going to divert even farther. The line of demarcation is being drawn, and we're starting to step on one side of the line or the other, and if you're in that old wine skin, when new wine pours in, you're not able to deal with it. I understand that. God, God secures us in a relationship to himself that is benevolent, it's unwavering, and it's unending, and God isn't going to change it. From what he said in the very beginning, I just read it for you. Why would you ever think you're not blessed? Why would you ever think that you're not what God created? Why would you ever think you're a lesser being than the identity that he secured for you? We were always in God's heart, always in God's heart. You're the apple of God's creation. He created you, you look back, he stepped back and looked at you and said, man, that's a masterpiece. I outdid myself on that one. You are, you are designed perfectly. There's nothing, I don't care what Adam did or David did or what I do or anybody else does. It can't tamper, it can't negate what God created in you. It really can't. God has decided to stick with his design and he calls the end from the beginning. So if God called from the beginning that we're blessed, we're in his image, we're in his likeness, and we're to have dominion and subdue, then that's how it will be at the end. If God calls the end from the beginning, he's not going to say in the beginning that it's very good and he's going to get to the end and say, man, look what a mess. He's going to bring what he said at the beginning to be true at the end because he knows the end from the beginning. So at the very end, he looked at the end when he said the beginning that it's very good because he knew at the end it would be very good. So you have security today. You have assurance today that what the Father is doing within your life is good. He's decided to stick with it, and he's shown us throughout history how he has been determined to stick with it. I listed a few things. Let me just read some of the things. I'll just read these for you, okay? Some of the things where God has indicated and shown us that he's going to stick with it. He's not going to veer off the plan. And Adam couldn't veer God's plan. Jesus was not plan B. It was, always the, it was always the heart of the Father for Jesus to come and show humans all we had, how we are to be. And if, if Adam hadn't messed up, somebody else would have. Because we can eat from that tree. We're able to do that. It's your choice. But we can't blame Adam for anything that happens in our life today. We're responsible for actions. So I think God's opening our eyes. We can't scapegoat this guy in a red tail, red suit with a tail, long ears, and a pitchfork. Can't scapegoat him. Devil didn't make me do it, Flip Wilson. We can't scapegoat Adam. So any decisions we make, you're, li you're living in the world that you've created with your consciousness and your imagination and your desires and your heart and what you want. You can change your world. You have that ability. You, you can co-create with him. God's sticking with his plan. Listen, let me just read these. The animal skins for Adam and Eve was God sticking with it to protect them, take care of them. The rainbow was God sticking with it. Covenant is God sticking with it. Exodus was God sticking with his people. The wilderness, God never left them. It was God sticking with it. The promised land is God sticking with it. 
God sending the prophets was an indication God was sticking with it. All the promises of God are, are indications, are truths of God sticking with it. The judges, the disciples, Pentecost, all indications, all proof texts that God is sticking with the plan that he designed from the very beginning. How else can I say it? The Father has never indicated even one time that he would separate himself from us. God has never indicated that. Adam... Adam did not have the power to separate the human race from the Father. He didn't have the power to do it. The story begins with God, it ends with God, and everything in between is all about God. Remember Romans eleven thirty six, 36, that it's from God, through God, to God. It's a circle. It's a circle. It's not a line. We think linear, start and end. It's not that way with God. It starts with him, through him, to him. Romans eleven thirty six. 36. Read it. Check it out. Meditate it. Jesus was Emmanuel. He was God with us. And I think it's Ecclesiastes 3, 4 that says, when God sets it in motion, it doesn't change. When God sets it in motion, it doesn't change. God's sticking with it. God is sticking with you. And what he, what he sticks with you is the truth that you are totally blessed. It's, it's, it's nothing less than this anchoring conviction that God is with us. Look what it says in Hebrews. Let me make it legal for you. As my friend Darren Begley used to say, gosh, I miss that guy. He used to say he's going to, you know what, he'd take you to the Bible because he said he wanted to make it legal. He would, you know, he'd teach out of the spirit of truth. I mean, tremendous anointing on it. But because he knew that everybody that was watching him was used to it, we got to have a verse for that. He would say, let me make it legal for you. And he'd, he'd take us over to some scripture. Look what it says here. Let me make it legal for you. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 says, let your conduct be without covetousness, be content with the things that you have, for he himself has said, I will never forsake you. I will never forsake you. For we shall boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. Don't, you don't have to fear stuff going on. We don't fear what Adam did to us because he said he would never forsake us. So here's what happened, church. And I've kind of let the cat out of the bag a little earlier. Here's what happened. At some point, the church took a wrong turn and flipped the script. They flipped the message of the father to his family from being one of totally blessed, totally image and likeness of God, never leave us, never forsake us, authentic identity of perfection. And they flipped, they flipped the message to one now that we are totally depraved, that we are born sinful. And that has eroded, over time, it has eroded the design and the declaration of the Father that we just read in, in Genesis chapter 1. It has eroded that in our minds and in our thinking. And so we have for generations, we've had amnesia. We've, we have forgotten who we were. And it's been far enough now that we haven't forgotten, really. We were never told who we were. Spirit of Truth's coming back today, and he's telling us who we are, who we've always been. Nothing man has ever done has surprised the Father. When, when the Father pronounced us blessed in his image and likeness, do you, do you not think that he knew that Adam would eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Do you think that he didn't know that you would eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? That you'd mess up, you'd screw up, that you'd be rebellious at times, that you would try to go your own way? We've all gone our own way, Scripture says. We've all done what we thought was right in our own eyes. We've ignored who we've been. Do you think he didn't, do you think he didn't program all that in? Look, he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He programmed every move of every human that would ever be on the face of the earth when he designed the plan. And he still said it's good. And he said it at the beginning, so I know that he was looking at the end when he said it at the beginning. Has to be. See if you can get your head around this. See if you can get your head around this a, a little bit. All right. Are you settled that nothing man has ever done has surprised the Father? And all, all man could ever do was taken care of before man ever did it. Before there was ever a problem, God had the solution. Doesn't the Bible say that Jesus was a lamb slain before the foundation of the world? Before Adam ever sinned, it was taken care of. Before you ever messed up, it was taken care of. 
That's, that's the wisdom of an omniscient father. Now, see if you can get your head around this. All right, have you got that established? Can, can you go with me on that? Can you go on with me on what I've said so far? If you can, then let me, let me put a challenge out for the future. Here's what we need to do. Discipleship has got to change big time. Discipleship in most churches it has been nothing but an indoctrination into what that church believes. Discipleship in a Baptist church is entirely different than discipleship in a Pentecostal church, I'll tell you for sure. A Baptist is going to disciple you away from the gifts of the Spirit. Pentecost is going to disciple you toward the gifts of the Spirit. They call it, both call it discipleship. What, what it is, it's trying, and, and, and it's all trying to get you to develop into somebody that you're not now, but you hope to become. So if, if it's a good Baptist, the discipleship is to get you to where your behavior is really good. Uh, uh, you come to church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You pay your tithe. You do what the church says. Uh, you sing two hymns every week, first and last uh, verse in a chorus. Uh, you file in, you file out. You don't challenge authority. If you're a good Pentecostal, your discipleship towards speaking in tongues, gifts of the Spirit, uh, uh, intercessory prayer, spiritual warfare, all that kind of stuff. Plus you tithe, go to church every week. So, but, but it's all entirely different, okay? It, that's, that's what we've called discipleship. That's not discipleship. Discipleship, real discipleship. When Jesus said, go and make disciples of all men, he, wasn't, he didn't say go make Baptists or make Pentecostals. He didn't say go teach men to tithe, teach men to go to church every week. His idea of discipleship was to awaken people to who they were created to be, what their authentic identity was, what they've always had but didn't know it, who they had always been but didn't know it. That's what discipleship is. The spirit of truth leads me to fulfill the original selfhood given to me, eternity passed by the Father. That's what the spirit of truth is doing today. Spirit of truth is discipling people. Church has done it a poor job of discipleship. It's been nothing but a, a Xerox machine. So the spirit of truth has flooded in today and he's discipling us. He's discipling you, he's discipling me. I was never really discipled by the spirit of truth. I was discipled by the church of the Nazarene. I was discipled as I grew up. I was discipled as I went through their educational system. I was discipled when I was ordained. I was, I, that's, what, that's who discipled me. I've said all that on the back burner, and I have found out that what they discipled me to, for the most part, there's some good parts to it. And I don't ever want to speak so disparagingly of religion that, you know, it's, I sound like I'm hateful. I'm not. But I'm a little irritated and frustrated at what I, what, the way I was discipled. But then I step back and go, you know what? They didn't know any different either. They were just parroting what they believed. So we can't be mad at religious people. We can't be mad at religion or denominations. I don't like the system, but I have a lot of heart for the people because they don't know any different. So the spirit of truth today is flooded in. He's flooding into our lives and he's discipling us, taking us back to authentic identity. He's showing us what we had, but didn't know it, who we were, but weren't aware of it. And I'm wondering, we've had almost 1500 years of wrong discipleship. I'm wondering sometimes what would happen if we went 1500 years and you're the first generation that can do this if we went 1,500 years and instead of trying to beat people into a life of obedience and submission and putting fear in their heart through original sin and, you know, a future of eternal conscious torment if they don't do something about this original sin and all that little actions that they do as a result of it. See, sin, sin, and I want to make this clear today, sin is a, is a mistaken identity. Sins are actions that transpire because you don't know who you are. That's, Hitler didn't know who he was. He thought he was something that he wasn't. So as a result of thinking that he was something that he wasn't, his actions corresponded to who he thought he was. And that's, that's how you and I lived. The, the, the reason people uh, do the things they do is because they don't know who they are. Once they find out who they are, you know what, their actions change. It's an internal work. The identity revelation is an internal work that has an effect on outward actions. 
But if all we're ever going to do is pick the fruit on outward actions and tell people, now that you're saved, don't drink, smoke, chew, cuss, run with folks that do. Uh, you better not go to the movies. All this stuff, they're never going to be different. They're going to try to be different, but they never will. But as soon as they discover who they are, you know what? Change becomes automatic. And it might not conform to your little pattern of religious thinking. They may smoke a cigar and drink whiskey. It has nothing to do with who they are or what they're doing. It has nothing to do with their relationship to God. Now, am I telling everybody to go smoke cigars and, and drink whiskey? That's your choice. That's your decision. That's between you and God. That You make the determinations. Let the spirit of truth lead you into what you should do, what you should not do. And don't make your convictions or what you can't do. Look, I can do a lot of things you probably can't. I do smoke a cigar now and then. I do have a little fireball now and then. Doesn't, doesn't affect me. I, I, I get some of my best stuff when I'm relaxed. You know what? It, 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 but some of you are, are not able to do that. But that what your conviction is can't be mine. What mine is can't be yours. That's why the spirit of truth is discipling us. And we, we don't need to try to infringe on one another. What we need to be showing people is who they really are and what they've always had. That's what disciple is. What, what if, what if? Let me play a little what if with you. What if God is not working frantically to reveal the total depravity of man? What if God, what if God is actually breaking false mindsets today? What if God's intention today is to break false mindsets and to show us the actual beauty that we were created in? Augustine took what God made as something perfect and beautiful and righteous and turned it into something that was depraved and ugly and separated from God. And the reason he did that was so man would pay a penance, what the church required to get back to God. That's where repentance comes from, because when you pay the penance and you mess up, then you need to do a repentance. That's, what, that's where, why people repent and repent and repent and repent, is because that's what they were taught repentance is. Repentance is it. Repentance is, and, and you've told, I've told you many times, is a change of mind, metanoia, going in the opposite direction. That's all repentance is. What, what if Jesus didn't come to solve our sin problem? What if Jesus came to reveal the heart of love that the Father had by willingly allowing us to crucify him, to murder him viciously, to show how much God really loves us and God did not want to be separated from us? And that even while we did that to him, in our hate, wasn't God didn't crucify Jesus, man did. It was our, it was our animosity, our, our, our belligerence. And what if the Father allowed that to show us his love to us and in the middle of that said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he wiped the slate clean for all of humanity. What if the Holy Spirit isn't poured out today to convict us and make us feel guilty and condemned? What if the Holy Spirit is poured out on us to reunite us and create in us all of the wonder and the joy that the Father intended back in Genesis 1 when he first created us? See, this idea of original sin, it only messed up the mind of man. It didn't mess up the intention of God. It didn't mess up the plan of God. It didn't mess up the Father's mind. It just alienated God from us in our thinking. But it never, it never removed God's plan to stick with us. It made man see himself as totally depraved. It can, I, look, let me, let me say this. My time is up. I know it can be scary and frustrating to realize that we need to rethink in light of new understanding and what the Spirit of God is showing us. It can be scary and frustrating to let go of some of the things that we've held so tightly to. Some of the things that we've built our security on. See, the spirit of truth is coming in. He's moving your security from your theology and your belief system to over here to just be secure in the love of the Father. Because your belief system is going to fluctuate. Your theology, if your theology isn't shifting, you're not growing. But the security and the love that the Father has for you never changes. It always remains the same. So rather than continuing to walk down this wrong road, a life where at the back of our mind we wonder, could I ever really be separated from God? What if we just turn around and we get on the right road, a road that is grounded in blessing and not depravity, 
a road that is grounded in image and likeness of God, not a road that is, is leading us to think that we're alienated from God. You know, what I've taught you last week and this week on this Edemic Illusion, this changes everything, man. This changes everything. This transformation is amazing. And when we eliminate some of these illusions like hell and the Edemic nature and free will, a lot of things we're going to get into, right? When we begin to eliminate those things, we see with new eyes. And when you see with new eyes, you see sharper and clearer than you ever saw before. And when you see sharper and clearer than you ever did before, when you see Jesus, when you see Father in a way you never saw before, then according to what we read today, you're being changed into the same image. See, people act like the God they see. So when you start to see a God of love, more love comes from you. When you start to see a God of grace, more grace pours from you. Reason the Baptist is so judgmental and hard on you is because that's the way their God is. But you're being transformed out of that. No longer do you see yourself jacked up, messed up, separated, depraved. You see yourself blessed, fortunate, happy, to be envied. You see yourself as being right in the center of the Father's plan and his will for your life. So good to be with you at the Digital Cathedral. We are building a worldwide digital community, and I love it. I love it. Be with me Wednesday night. We'll go through a little bit more of this, maybe from a different angle and in a little depth in some other areas. If you're not part of the Don Keithley ministry page on Facebook, go over and ask to join so that you can be with us on Wednesday. I only do Wednesdays on that page because we talk about some things that I don't want to be trolled. I don't want to be argued with. I don't want you to be bashed when you make comments and questions. So I do it in a private group. What you, what, what you say there stays there. You can't share it. It stays there. So be with me Wednesday night. If you haven't picked up your book, Hell's Illusion, make sure you pick it up. Write a good review. Uh, share with somebody. The best thing that you can do is share this. Share the Wednesday night with other people. And when this is over, if you would go down, be so kind on the YouTube and make a comment. Make a comment. The more comments we get, the more people are going to watch. <clears throat> we need to let the word spread. Look, what you're, what you're standing for and what you're believing and what you're spreading is changing the world. You are a world changer. There's no question about it. And I, I'm privileged to be connected with you. I love this journey, and I love making it with people like you. Thank you for your prayers. You pray for me. I keep you in prayer. Let's pray for the Digital Cathedral. Thank you for your support, especially those of you that do something monthly. It just shows you've got skin in the game, man. It just shows that your heart is in it. Your, wherever your heart is, that's where your treasure goes. So if your heart is in the digital cathedral and the Spirit of, of the Lord speaks to you about it, help support what we're doing. It's all good. It's all God. We'll see you next time. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. And don't forget, tune in next week. God bless.